This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Good afternoon, Candy. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I am good. How are you doing on this lovely snowy day? doing really well and I am very much enjoying this snow. It is very nice. It's not quite a white Christmas but it's it's lovely nonetheless. Driving through here I was thinking about how peaceful it makes me feel when these fluffy flakes are coming down towards the car. It makes me even more grateful to be in this nice warm room cuddled up with this warm cup of tea ready to talk to you about some interesting stories. Well I'd love to hear one. All right. I personally do find this topic super interesting when I was doing some research. It's again a little heavy but fascinating. So as you know, Ashley, the focus of this episode is actors who were killed or suffered fatal injuries while filming. And that means not just while they were making a movie, but literally in the process of filming while the cameras were rolling. Do I get to guess one of them? Well, (laughs) actually, I was going to talk about, I was going to tell the listeners about how funny it was that (laughs) we had decided that we were not going to, to share with you that you were going to come into this call. Mm-hmm. And you you were the one who said it, actually. I remember you said, don't tell me who you've chosen. And then literally took one breath and said, <laughs> it's Brandon Lee, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of them, Brandon Lee. I know it is. I know it is. Tell me it is. And so um, the sad part is there were so many options to choose from. That is sad. Right? But Ashley and I decided, we had a quick conversation about the fact that we had a lot of options and decided that we would make this a two-part episode. And so in this episode, which will be part one, we are going to focus in on Brandon Lee because like you, I think I think he's the one that comes to mind mm-hmm. when somebody thinks about this topic. Mm-hmm. Why did he pop to your mind first, Ashley? What do you remember about what happened with Brandon Lee? You know, not a lot. Just that he famously died on set. And I think he famously died during filming and they had to use a stand-in to complete the filming and I think wasn't it with a prop gun was he playing with a prop gun and it had blanks in it but he still was messing with it and it went off and that's what killed him I think you're mixing up his story a little bit with John Eric Hexum which was another actor um, who was killed I want to say late 80s early 90s okay but you had a lot of that correct okay and we'll of course we'll we'll go through that as we tell the story but you you know who Brandon Lee's famous father is right yes Bruce of course but actually did you know that he also died at a very young age no I didn't he um actually died at 32 years of age Ooh, that is young yeah of course we know that that Bruce Lee was a well-known actor and a martial artist associated with kung fu um I, 
I think he's been g given credit for the one who, who really kind of put Kung Fu on the map, so to speak. But most of his stardom was in Asia. He made a lot of movies. He was very well known there. And he had tried to kind of break out in America as well. Do you think he wanted to do that for the money or more fame? If he was doing really well in Asia, why do you figure he wanted to come to America? That's an interesting question. I did not see that in my research, but if I had to speculate, I would definitely guess that it would be both because mm -hmm. I think he was looking at both a lot of, a lot more money and stardom, of course. He had one role that made him popular in America, but it was more of a sidekick role versus a lead role. That was in The Green Hornet in 1966 to 1967. TV and show? A TV show. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he played the sidekick Cato. So he was looking for a Hollywood role, and he did not get that offer until right before he died, actually. He was in the middle of filming a different movie when he was approached by Hollywood to take the starring role in a movie called Enter the Dragon. Okay. So he stopped. He put the other movie on hold. He took this job, and he actually completed the filming but died before the movie was released. Okay, so I got I got two things here. Did you know that James Dean was also someone that by the time his second film came out, so Rebel Without a Cause, he was already dead. He was only alive for East of Eden and he was already gone. I think he died during Giant, maybe. I don't know if he finished that one or not. Hmm. The other thing is, how big a star was this guy that he could go, hang on, movie that I'm working on. You guys, we're going to put a pin in this. I'm going to go do something else, and I'll be right back. And then he doesn't come back. So what do those people do that are, have a halfway finished movie? That is interesting. Yeah. Because there is some speculation that, that people were not as happy about that. I wouldn't have as, been. <laughs> as it might appear. Yeah, let me go do a movie more important than yours. Exactly. So we'll come back to that in just a second. Okay. That, was, that was a nice little bit of foreshadowing okay. there, Ashley. He had finished filming this movie. It had not yet come out. It was actually released, as, as we've kind of hinted, a month after he died in 1973. He died of brain edema. He was found in his home in Hong Kong, unconscious, 32 years of age, on July 20th, 1973. Now, what is brain edema? I did not know that either, okay. so I had to look it up. And um, according to WebMD, it's basically the same as a brain swelling. It's a life-threatening condition that causes fluid to develop in the brain. Do you think it's from all the chopping and fighting and martial arting? I believe so. And according to History Channel, they think that it is related to a reaction to prescription painkillers. But mm. there is a lot of mystery and a lot of speculation that surrounds Bruce Lee's death, actually. In fact, um, a lot of people believe that he did not die of natural causes or his reaction to, to painkillers, but at the hands of Chinese gangsters. What? I know. I'd never heard this before. I heard the term Chinese mafia used a lot, uh -huh. and a lot of people speculated that it was somehow related to the film industry. So Maybe may those people who were mad? <laughs> maybe, mm, right? Or we'll show you. Or maybe the fact that he was trying to leave the film industry in Asia and move to America. I'm not oh. quite sure what what the motivation might be, but a lot of people believe that that was what caused his death. He was murdered by the Chinese mafia. Other people say that, yes, they believe he died at the hand of, of these Chinese gangsters, but they believe it was because it was somehow related to drugs, which could, again, perhaps go back to this prescription painkiller oh. theory. Who knows? Others said that they thought he was the victim of a curse. Mm -hmm. I never really found out 
I never Why? thought I'd be going, on one hand, the Chinese mafia, on another hand, an ancient curse. <laughs> no idea. But it was, it was a very mysterious death. Mm-hmm. So when he, when he died, he left this void in the film industry. He also, of co- course, left a void in the life of his family because yeah. he had a wife and he had two kids. Brandon was only eight years old when his dad died. That's sad. I know. And his dad died, of course, we just um, said in 1973. It was only going to be 20 years later, 1993, that Brandon himself would also die in the course of making a movie. Mm, but, man. Yeah. That lends credence to the curse theory. Again, you have such a knack for foreshadowing, oh, Ashley. No, that, I think that's it's brilliant <laughs> because that's something that comes back again. There, after Brandon's death, a lot of people said there was a family curse. Mm. So you are, you're very good at this. So after Bruce Lee died, Brandon followed in his dad's footsteps in some ways. He definitely had some interest in martial arts. He studied that a little bit, but it was not his passion. In fact, it talked about at some point as he was growing up, he kind of left his pursuit of that to move over to really dig into soccer. He was a lot more interested in that. Mm. But he was like he was interested in in acting like his dad. Mm-hmm. And it said that he studied acting at Emerson College and then the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. That's impressive. That is impressive. And he started to get some work, but it was not the type of work he wanted. He wanted more of the lead role, more of those star power type films. Mm -hmm. So even though he had lots of bits in television shows and movies, none of them were very well received. And it, it wasn't the kind of role he was looking for until he was offered the lead in the 1993 movie, The Crow. Mm. And that was supposed to be it. That was supposed to be his breakout role. He was very excited. Did you ever see The Crow? You know, I think so, but then I'm not sure. I Mm -hmm. think Brian has it. I think he's had me watch it, but I can't remember a lot about it other than he's kind of emo looking he's got like the black hair that hangs in his face and because I think he wanted to show me like this is where they use the the body double and this was him this was not him mm-hmm. but I don't remember a lot about it that's funny I tried to recall I don't think I ever saw it either I remember seeing little bits and pieces mm-hmm. I could call up as you said a few mm-hmm. visual images mm-hmm. but I had no idea of the storyline so it was interesting when I looked up the synopsis The Crow was based on a graphic novel by James Obar. The premise behind it was that this character, played by Brandon Lee, was named Eric Draven, and he was a rock star. That would explain the long, curly black hair. Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to understand the visual even better in just a second, because what happens is Eric Draven is engaged to a woman, and they are to be married on Halloween. But on the eve of their wedding... He walks into his home and finds his uh, fiance in the midst of being beaten and viciously raped by a gang of thugs. And in this confrontation, both he and his fiance end up getting killed. Oh, I do not remember this. Well, so a year later, this is the part where the crow comes in. On the anniversary of their murders, this character of Eric Draven emerges from the grave as the supernatural character, the Crow, who sets out on a mission to avenge the death of of himself and his fiance. I wonder why they didn't go with the Raven, because dead Raven, Draven... I like your creativity. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to guess that James O'Barr's <laughs> graphic novel did not do that, and therefore they were a little restricted. <laughs> you missed your chance. <laughs> but I love it. Thank you. Great idea. So while they were filming before Brandon's accident, a lot of things were actually going wrong. There was even talk of there being a curse on the movie. Mm. 
in an Entertainment Weekly article that I found, it mentioned like five or six different examples of some of these accidents or these mishaps that occurred. I'm not going to walk you through all of those, but just okay. to give you a few examples. On the very first day of filming, which was February 1st of 1993, and by the way, the filming took place in North Carolina, a crane operator was severely burned on his face, his chest, and his arms when live power lines came in contact with his crane. Mm-mm. I know. Oh, it, it's it's bad. His wife was pregnant at the time. And Who, the crane operator's wife? The crane operator's wife, yes. Okay. And she told an interviewer that he was so severely injured that he was probably looking at two years of surgery, oh. probably five years of recovery before he would get back to as close to a normal life as he oh was going gosh. to get. So it was, it was very, very bad. serious. Oh. Yeah, awful. Another example was that on March 13th, which would have been just a couple months after that, a storm came through. One source called it a hurricane. And it was so severe that it destroyed a big portion of the Crow set, along with the Crow shared their movie set with another movie. It it destroyed some of that as well. That's so. when you go something. Maybe maybe we ought to put it. Maybe we ought to wait. Like, mm-hmm. maybe. and this is this is like two of, you know, six or seven oh, gosh. things. No, stop. Right. Well, I'm gonna give you one more. Okay. Uh, there was a construction worker who was working on something again on the set, and he slipped and put a screwdriver through his hand. No. No. Cancel filming. No! I know, I know. Oh, gosh. Um, but I'm sure some movie executive is just like, oh, well, it's just the workers. Coincidentally, Ashley, I did find the publicist's mm-hmm. report about that incident, and what, what he did say was that the, he acknowledged the injury was very serious, but assured everyone that the worker would recover and would be able to use his hand again. So they kind of explained oh, things away. So this was all, of course, prior to the accident. Yeah. The day of Brandon's fatal set accident was March 31st, 1993. And according to a couple of different sources, they were at the very end of their filming. There were only eight days left of of scheduled shoots. Mm -hmm. So it was close. Mm -hmm. And in his own personal life, Brandon was really close to some exciting stuff. I mean, not only was he getting ready to to wrap up this film that he knew was going to just be his breakout role... But he was actually only a couple of weeks away from his own wedding. Aww. I know. He was engaged to a woman named Eliza Hutton, whom he had met back in 1990 in a director's office where she was working as that director's personal assistant. Mm. They'd hit it off immediately, and so they were getting married in Ensenada, Mexico on April 17th, 1993 was their plan. That was close. Very close. 18 days. Yeah. The scene that they were supposed to be shooting on one of these final days was actually from the very, very beginning of the movie, and it was the death scene of the character Eric oh. Draven. It's the moment when he's supposed to come into his apartment and find his fiance being attacked, uh-huh. and then in the course of trying to defend her, he gets killed. So the setup was that, again, because they were supposed to be married on Halloween, this was the night before Halloween, and he is supposed to walk in carrying a grocery bag. Okay. And his entrance surprises these thugs. And one of them, the character Fun Boy, who was played by the actor Michael Massey, is supposed to almost immediately shoot at Eric from a, a very close little situation oh, about so, 15 feet away. Okay. So did so were they not blanks or? Well, yes. The character, I mean, the actor, Michael Massey, is supposed to be shooting blanks uh-huh. at the character. In the movie, of course, it's supposed to be bullets. Oh, sure. Yeah, and yeah. He, yeah. He collapses. 
but they had it rigged. Part of their special effects was that in order to make the shooting look more realistic, they had a switch fitted to the grocery bag that Brandon Lee was carrying so that when the shot happened, he could pull something called a squib. It would activate a squib, I guess is probably the better way to phrase it. Squibs are special effects. It was described in one source as essentially being something like a small firework. Okay. And when it goes off, it, it really makes the, the bullet hit, I guess if that's the right word, look more realistic because it, it, it makes that kind of explosion, but it also makes it appear that there's been this bloody bullet. Blood packet right. kind of? Okay. Exactly. But the problem was they had used the same gun in a different scene a couple weeks before, and rather than use blanks at that time, they had used dummy bullets, and it had not been cleaned properly in between these two scenes. What are dummy bullets? I don't know exactly, okay. but I know that it's closer to a real bullet in that there's actually some metal there. Oh. Because that's what happened when, when it was fired. A piece of debris from that dummy bullet that was still inside the gun went flying at Brandon Lee like a projectile. And of course, they didn't realize this immediately, but that, that metallic projectile actually went in through Brandon's abdomen and it lodged against his spine and he collapsed. And they thought that was... They just part, of the, part show. of the scene. So it wasn't until they called cut and Brandon didn't stand up that anybody realized something was wrong. Mm. And and even then, um, and one source has said they thought he was joking around. Like they did not realize until they kind of went over and pursued this. And then immediately, of course. Was he paralyzed? They don't even mention that because they ended up having to rush him to the hospital. Uh-huh. I don't believe they even tried. So to he didn't move die him. on the. No. Okay. No, no, no. They took him straight to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He underwent something like five to six hours of surgery, but they couldn't save him. Um, he ended up dying of internal injuries, extensive blood loss, and mm. heart failure. Mm. He's 28 years old. Poor baby. Mm-hmm. That guy that did it had to feel awful. He did. His again. His name is Michael Massey, and. We'll, we'll get to this in a minute. He, he ended up, he finished out the shooting and he got through this film, but he was so traumatized that he took a year off acting. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't do it. Was he an actor or a stunt actor? He was an actor. In okay. fact, I looked him up and I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head any of his later roles, but he was very active. Mm. I, I believe one was X-Files. Mm, you know? okay. So he had a lot of parts in a lot of different things. I don't know if he was a big star, okay. but he had an extensive resume. And it was said that, that he would rarely if ever talk about it it was so traumatizing to him I found one article that that talked about an interview he gave at one point in his life and this came out after his death in 2016 at the age of 64 I believe of cancer and in this one interview where he talked about it he literally said that this haunted him his entire life yeah it would well just to kind of finish that part up the surgeon did report um, that the entry wound was about the size of a silver dollar so that projectile was like a bullet wow yeah well before we move on do we need to take a break or yes good let's let's take a little break i'm gonna i'm gonna pour you some tea so after the accident Filming was immediately suspended while they conducted an investigation, but no criminal charges were ever filed. It was determined that Brandon's death was due to negligence, and no one was really at fault criminally. It was just a situation where that prop gun had not been checked or or properly cleaned, and that's what led to this terrible accident. However, as you might expect, 
there were some other lawsuits filed. Brandon's mother filed a civil lawsuit that was settled in October of 1993. And Eliza was also included in that settlement. So, of course, I believe they did get millions um, from that lawsuit. So that's kind of how it was handled in terms of legalities. It was really good for her to include Liza. Mm-hmm. What did you say, Eliza or Liza? It's Eliza. Eliza. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, is while you're hearing that this lawsuit was going on, both Eliza and Brandon's mother approved the film company continuing to complete the film and put it out to the public. Well, I guess it's kind of a mixed bag because she wants his movie to mm-hmm. be out there and she wants him to be remembered. And if that wasn't out there, if this was his big break, then right. it's, I don't know, I guess it's just bittersweet either way. Absolutely. And I guess that if I think about it in terms of trying to fulfill his wishes and mm-hmm. his, his dreams, I can mm-hmm. see where as a mother, I would, I would hope that for my child, mm-hmm. even after he's gone. Mm-hmm. So the filming continued, but as Ashley previewed uh, a bit ago, they did some really creative things to make that happen. So first of all, they found two different, I think they pulled two stuntmen is what they did, but Mm -hmm. they found two different body doubles, very much resembled Brandon in size and build. And in fact, one of those stunt doubles was his friend, Chad Stahelski, I hope I'm saying that right, who had been working with him in that movie, but was also a friend with him and was also someone who knew martial arts. So he could even move, some of his body movements were even similar to Brandon's. And so they took these stunt doubles, and if it was a scene that was filmed from more of a distance, of course, that person could just be made to resemble Brandon. And if it was a scene that was a close-up, they literally would graft Brandon's face over top of the actor's face. So it was this kind of this innovative early Early, CGI. Early CGI, yeah. which, which was another reason why I think we've heard about The Crow, because that was such a, a technological mm-hmm. novelty, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of people at that time. I appreciated another thing that they did, which was they reworked that death scene. They did not even use... The clip. Good, good. Not only did they not use the clip, they didn't even use the same sequence. They oh. removed the idea of grocery bags. Okay. And, and instead they changed it so that as the character Eric Draven comes through the door... Not even Fun Boy, a different thug throws a knife at him, and then the character gets dragged into the center of the room. And there are some shots that happen, and ultimately he's thrown out the window, but they just reworked the whole I'm thing. I'm glad they did that. And they didn't make the same guy that had done it in the first place do that again. Exactly. Good. So they finished the movie, and it did come out in 1994, I believe. I think it was another year before they made it out but don't hold me to that. Well, probably because of all the CGI, they wouldn't have, that would have been so new. It would have taken Mm -hmm. them a long time. Absolutely. And not only that, but the original film studio bowed out. They wanted no part of it. Really? So they had to go on the circuit to find some other Mm. movie studio that would pick it up. Finally, Miramax agreed. But again, I appreciate this. It said in one of the articles that I read, this was an editorial comment being made by the writer that Miramax was pretty classy in their handling. They thought they took the high road. They did not try to sen- you know, go with the sensational story, the media attention around Brandon's death. Mm-hmm. They instead just marketed their film as this very interesting mm-hmm. premise based on the graphic novel. They just went straight up your traditional route of trying to sell their movie. And then the only thing they did to kind of acknowledge exactly what had happened was at the very end of the movie, they added a dedication that simply said, for Brandon and Eliza. Oh, that's very, that kind of gets me a little choked up. Mm. The, um, 
irony of it is, is that now Miramax is, Huge. you know, that company. No, you know, that company is Harvey Weinstein. What? That's his company. It's, no. Yeah. It's his company. That's dead now. That Miramax used to be the number one back in the 90s. He would have been the one you would go to. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's why I was making those faces when you said Miramax took the high road. I was like, did they? <laughs> <laughs> that's different. Wow. Yeah. That's Okay. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The movie earned $50 million and the reviews were a little mixed at the time. But it's interesting that in the interim since then, it's received a lot more critical acclaim and it's become something of a cult classic. And mm-hmm. a lot of people talk now about the great work that Brandon did in that film. Do you think it would have if he had lived? Or would it have just been just a regular movie and then he would have gone on to make other movies. It's that same question with James Dean. Mm-hmm. Would James Dean have become James Dean if he had not passed away? Right. And you know that it has to be a factor, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you want to believe that great acting mm-hmm. is going, is to, going be to be great acting. recognized and acknowledged yeah. regardless of situation. Yeah. The second Batman movie, The Dark Knight, I think is the best one in the trilogy. And Heath Ledger passed away. Mm-hmm. But it got up a lot of tension because of that. But I still think it's the best one in the trilogy. Right. And I thought his acting was amazing. Never saw that either. Oh, I remember seeing that in the theater. I have never been so creeped out by an opening sequence and the music. The music, we may have to, if we have time after this is over, just watch that opening sequence. But I was having a near-on panic attack. (laughs) Because the music accompanying the way they did that opening scene, I was just like, oh, I can't handle this. I was like... My nerves were jangled. It was very good. Okay, now I, I do need to see that. Yep, yep. We'll just watch the opening sequence. Mm, you've definitely piqued my interest. <laughs> it's the introduction of the Joker. Okay. Okay. Well, in terms of the impact from Brandon Lee's accident, we've already talked about the impact on, on Michael Massey, which touched my heart, too. I will tell you, I just felt mm-hmm. so much empathy for him. But on a more positive level, remember that friend we mentioned earlier, yes. Chad Stahelski, who yes. stood in and helped finish the film? Yes. He actually went on to um, become very involved with show business himself and is now one of the producers with that John Wick franchise that is so popular. You know, I've not seen that, but I feel like that would be something that he would be interested in, like something he would have done. It's interesting because... I guess it was Friday, my principal and I were talking about movies that we, you know, recommending movies to each other. And he literally asked me, have you seen any of the John Wick films uh, with Keanu Reeves? And told me I needed to. So he comes highly recommended by him anyway. But Thank you to Candy's principal. <laughs> in an interview, Chad commented that had it not been for Brandon Lee's death, we wouldn't have some of the safety precautions that we have nowadays. Okay. So here's a direct quote that I pulled from Chad Stahelski. It was a safety standard that definitely changed the industry with firearms. You know where that leads to? John Wick is 90% guns, firearms. A lot of the safety or the methodology we use... It came about because of that accident. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is a legacy. Definitely. Since we started with Bruce Lee, I thought to wrap up, we would take it back to Brandon's dad, Bruce Lee, again, because we've already talked about a few of these coincidences, but but we haven't really named all of them. Okay. So I thought that would be an interesting way to kind of bring it back. Okay. Like we're going to give some weight to the family curse. 
Maybe. Okay. So obviously we've talked about the fact that they both died young. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was 32. Brandon was 28. Both of them very involved in making movies at the time of their death. Their deaths, again, 20 years apart. One's in 1973, the other's in 1993. Mm-hmm. And again, both of them had that idea of a curse surrounding them. You had the curse about... Chinese mafia. The, right, and, and the idea that maybe Bruce's death was somehow because he was a victim of a curse. Mm-hmm. And then you had the curse of the crow with Brandon. Mm-hmm. But here's another kind of eerie coincidence that came up that I don't think we've mentioned yet. Remember, we've said several times, Bruce Lee was filming that one movie that he stopped in order to go do Enter the Dragon. Well, that movie was called Game of Death. And he was only partway through filming it when he had to put it on pause. So he had done quite a few scenes, but there were several scenes left to go. Mm -hmm. So in order to film the rest of his movie... They used doubles? They had to use doubles. Mm. After he died, they brought in two stand-ins, and they finished the film for Bruce Lee in the way, I mean, not with the same technology, but in a similar way to what happened with Brandon. Now, this is very creepy, and in my mind, I'm being judgmental here. It seems inappropriate, Uh but they even used scenes from Bruce Lee's real-life funeral for the funeral scene in the movie. No. Mm -mm. Right. So about, his character dies in that movie, too? Well, in that movie, he's supposed to fake his death. Oh. And then as he's supposedly dead, he, he goes and takes out all the people who were after him. Okay. Yeah. So that movie took an additional five years, but in 1978, it was finally released. Five years? For the, for the Bruce Lee film. Yes. Wow. Okay. And Brandon and his father are both buried side by side at Seattle's Lakeview Cemetery. Is the rest of the family, is mom still alive? Yes. My understanding is, as of right now, mom and, and his um, Other sisters. Other siblings? Sibl- it was a sister then? I am pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. That's really sad. It is sad. So, Ashley, you know we like to do our armchair psychologist moment. Yes. Armchair psychologist. And I thought since the topic was a little heavy, we would focus in on the part of it that seems just a little lighter. Okay. Which is that part about the curse. I don't know. Curses don't feel very light to me. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Being around the entertainment industry as we are, I think that's something we recognize. Uh, Maybe it's not only the entertainment industry. Maybe it's society in general. But I do know that within the entertainment industry, we hear about things like uh, the curse if you say the name Macbeth in a theater. yes. Or you mentioned to me the other day... The 27 Club? The 27? Tell, what is the 27 Club curse again? Uh, 27 Club is famous musicians who died at the age of 27. So you've got Kurt Cobain, um, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, and I believe Amy Winehouse is mm-hmm. the latest addition to that. Yeah, I looked that up mm-hmm. after you mentioned it because mm-hmm. it was new to me, but how did I never know about that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Other than my brain seems to retain trivia and not much else. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> as you are a person with a real job and an educator, you have to think about other things. And my mind's just like full of junk files. <laughs> and that's one of them. <laughs> I think it's very entertaining. And Thank impressed. you. You know, jumping back, I'm sitting here thinking there might be some listeners who are not familiar with that Macbeth curse or, or that belief that... Do you think that's silly or real? 
First, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remind our listeners what it is, and then I'm going to tell you how some people do feel about it, because I, I know this firsthand. The belief is that you are not supposed to say the name of the play in a theater, because if you do, you are going to basically kind of put a curse on your production and things will go bad. Yeah, you can say the, wait, you can say the, I think you can say the name of the play, but you can't say the name of the person, or is it the other way around? I believe you can't say... Either one? Either one. In oh. fact, I believe you're supposed to say the Scottish play. Oh, so maybe you can't say the name of the play. Right. And I never really put much credence into that, uh-huh. except I can remember, this was only three or four years ago, I was in some community theater production. I'm not sure what we were talking about, but while we were waiting to go on stage, a few of the actors were just sitting there in, in the green the room, green room mm-hmm. just talking, passing the time, and I happened... To say the word, I said the word. It was a collective gasp. Oh no! I felt like I had just dirt on their shoe. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, literally, somebody yelled my name, like scolded me. Oh no! It was awful, and I. So there, there are very strong feelings about that. Well, I think if you give credence to it, then yes, it's going to happen. It's like the kids at Henry County always said, "The Friday night curse." There's always something that happens on Friday night. Well. You say it and it'll happen. There's there's all kinds of books written about putting things out into the universe. And if you say there's going to be a curse, there's going to be something going wrong, then something goes wrong. It's theater. Something always goes wrong. It's There's some type of name for it in psychology. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like the reverse of the halo effect, right? It's kind of that expectation. Um, Sorry, people can't hear me nodding. Yes, <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. I'm nodding deeply. Yeah, I think it's that same idea. Well, do you believe then that that films can be cursed? Because that's another thing. For example, Poltergeist. Yes. I've not seen that. I don't want to see that because I'm not positive that curses, like me joking about it, oh, theater, things happen in theater. I'm not positive they don't exist. I'm not saying that it's not real. (laughs) They probably do. And especially in movies like that, you're just asking for stuff. When you're like, hey deep evil spirit world let's make a movie about you and deep evil spirit world's like thanks and then they show up i don't know i've never seen it i'm making things up it could be a lovely film i don't know i have seen that okay. one i well, i found it very engaging um i is that like, the one where the little girl goes they're here exactly what's here what comes out of that tv screen well it's been a while but if i remember correctly they had built their house in fact the entire subdivision the subdivision had been built over the graves of in the real world or in the film world this is in the film this okay. is the premise of the film okay <laughs> no 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 you're already in trouble <laughs> well they were in trouble in the film too yeah. um, so because they had built their homes over these graves it was basically i think the spirits of of the dead who were coming Ooh. after them Mm-mm. as i recall but it, I think you probably remember this, even if you never saw the movie, they ended up losing the one actress who played the older sister. It was a small part in the in the movie, but you remembered her. Her name was, um, in real life, the actress was Dominique Dunn. She died in oh, only... Oh, mm-hmm. her dad is the one that did that uh, show. What did she die of? She her boyfriend murdered? killed her. Oh, God. She was only 22 years of age, and I believe she was trying to break up with her boyfriend. And when she was meeting with him in person to talk with him through this, he choked her. Oh, gosh. Left her laying in on the sidewalk, and it's this sent her into a coma, and she died. I didn't know that Never. was that girl in that. Yes. Mm. And then and then the, the young girl that you were talking about, she died mm. at only 12 years of age. No! What'd she die from? 
Well, she had actually completed the trilogy, as I recall. So she, of course, there were three of them, right? She had Crohn's disease. She had been diagnosed with Crohn's disease just the year before she died. And so some things were going on inside of her that they think some bacterial toxins had, had gotten into her bloodstream. So they rushed her to the hospital. They, they saw that she had some kind of an obstruction. They were trying to remove that obstruction. She was in surgery, but she died on the table at only Golly. 12 years of age. Golly. And a couple of other people died as well. Wasn't Craig T. Nelson in that, in he that was. too? But he didn't die. He's fine. No, no, no. Who was the, who was the mom? Was it Joe Beth Williams? That sounds right. I think it was. And of course she was fine too. And the other two actors who died were older and had had health issues for quite some time. I mean, you could say that about any film that people die in. Like Gone with the Wind. They said Gone with the Wind was cursed. Mm-hmm. Because the actor Leslie Howard, right, he died in World War II shortly after the film was made. Rhett, I mean, Rhett several years, but Vivian died fairly young. But then you got Olivia Haviland who just died at 104. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, and Margaret Mitchell, she died. Didn't she die shortly after the film came out? Like, crossing the street, she got hit by a car? Really? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I'd never heard that one. Yeah. I think it makes it... What's the word? There's something intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to think that there might be a curse. I mean, it just grabs your interest. Oh, I'm at, not saying there's not a curse. Like I said, I'm all about <laughs> believing in that kind of stuff. I just don't know... You don't want to tempt fate. Yeah, I don't want to... No. <laughs> I don't want to even watch it. Like, nope, nope, nope. I don't know what's going to come out of the screen. So are there any curses related to the entertainment industry that you either believe or that you are kind of, what's the word, diligent about following just so that you don't tempt fate? Hmm. Well, I certainly pray before anything Hmm. because I don't want to (laughs) tempt. I want all people on my side. Um, Sometimes I'll, let's see, what do I, do I do anything? I think the only thing that I would call even a ritual would just be praying before a show. I feel like if I don't do that, maybe something's going to go wrong, but I'm a human, so it probably will anyway. Um, some people I know wear the same socks or they've got their audition socks or they wear the same clothes or... Does it bother you if someone wishes you good luck versus break a leg? Not a bit. Not at all. Mm -hmm. No. It does some people. It does. And I try to be respectful of that because I know some people really put creams into that. So I don't want to mess with their flow or whatever, but it doesn't bother me. A lot of people don't know any better. The thought is sincere. So I just accept the thought behind it. They're just saying, I hope you have a good show. Right. Instead of the good luck or break a leg. Do you know what break a leg means? I do. Okay. But you should say it because some of our listeners might not. Uh, let's see if I get it right. Break a leg meant back in the vaudevillian days, if you actually got to perform on stage, you broke the leg of the curtain. So you got to go past it and you got to perform. And if you got to perform, I think you got paid. That could be totally wrong, but oh. I think that's what it means. I thought it had something to do with... If you did such a great job, I thought it even went further back than that, maybe to Shakespearean days, that if you um, were an actor and you were receiving applause, then you took a bow and breaking a leg meant that you were like bending into the bow. Let's look and see. Let's solve this mystery. The most common theory refers to an actor breaking the leg line of the stage. If you were to tell the actor to break a leg, you were wishing them the opportunity to perform and get paid. The sentiment remains remains the same today. The term means good luck and give a good performance. Wow. That's the first thing that comes up on Google. Well, I just learned something new. Well, yours is probably true, too. So what I'm inferring here is that it's not so much curses that we're talking about as much as superstition, mm-hmm. which I think crosses every area of life. I mean, I can think of people with sports who are so superstitious and 
they have to, you know, have some kind of a routine or wear the same type of clothing every mm-hmm. time they go to support a game or Oh yeah, if their team wins they won't they won't wash their sweatshirt. Right. Because or they watch because they're they're saying it's me watching that's making them win. And I have I don't I don't think it's a superstition. I have a little bit of that I guess I keep going back to your idea of not tempting fate, but but when I first got on stage acting in community theater I was so nervous I had so much stage fright that I developed this routine where I had to open my my book it didn't matter how well I knew my script and my lines I had to open my book before I went on stage every night and I had to review the lines and it was almost kind of like my security blanket yeah. like a Linus um you yeah, know, yeah. Charlie Brown thing mm-hmm. and so even after years of acting now even if I don't feel like I need it I will open my book and look at those lines before I go on stage just because that's the habit, that's the routine, and I have to honor it. Yeah, you know, I I tried that, and I'm not sure where I land on this. Maybe as I act less and less, I will, I will need to do that. But I found early on when I had a better memory is I could overstudy, and that happened one of the performances. I don't remember if it was Steel Magnolias or The Miracle Worker, but I was so panicked about both of those lines that I would read them every day, every day, and before every performance. And the one where I read it right before the performance, I messed up more. I just needed to trust myself that it was ingrained in me because I had studied them so well. Mm -hmm. But again, that was, it's been, what, almost four years since, Mm -hmm. wait, 2017? Yeah, almost four years since we did that play, and that's really the last time I acted. Well, the interesting thing is it's not even so much for me the reading of the lines and the review, it's now the physical act mm, of, I see. even if I'm just kind of just opening the book and just like glancing down, I do it just because that's the pattern. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I still think they were cursed. <laughs> I think the Lees were cursed. I don't know how, but that sounds pretty cursy to me. Hmm. Well, it sounds like a good place to wrap it up. We started with the Lees and yes. we take it back to the Lees. Yes. And so... Cheers to Brandon and Bruce Lee. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.